And welcome to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How's it going? Okay. You were laughing because <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how much longer the Beer Vana yeah. Podcast is going to is going to survive because <laughs> really you, this this my, computer the, the Garage Band. I don't know. I don't think it's the computer. I think it's the the version of Garage Band that's on my computer. I've tried to update it. It uh, it just really very glitchy right now. It's flashing white all the time, and uh, it's a good thing that neither of us are subject to epileptic fix because <laughs> it's <laughs> because it's kind of strobe like over here if it crashes then that'll be and, the end of things and i couldn't i couldn't uh well long story but yeah things are things weird things are happening that are actually preventing from real content getting done uh so i'm gonna have to figure this out uh i do have a new laptop with a new version of GarageBand, but they don't have like a little podcasting thing so i can't just load my our old podcast on there but we might need to figure out new technology and, and yeah. Barrel into the 21st century. I'm beginning to worry about our tech. So. <laughs> anyway, that's a fascinating way to start, start the podcast. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Beer Bonnet Podcast. Uh, we are here in sunny Portland, Oregon. Woohoo, sun. Yeah, it's beautiful. Leaves. It's beautiful outside. Spring in Portland. You should come. Uh, this is the Beer Bonnet Podcast. With me, of course, is Jeff Allworth, author of The Secrets of Master Brewers, The Beer Bible. And in 2019... Ooh, we have a title, The we, Widmer Way. We have a title. Nice. Yeah, Ooligan came up with that, and it's a really good one, um, which well, it won't make so much sense to you, but when you read the book, uh, it will make a lot of sense. So I'm excited. It's a good name. All right. And apparently you're still blogging at Beervana. I was just telling you that blogs are dead, so I don't know why you bother, but <laughs> good for you. Apparently still there if you want to find it. Blogs will save us. <laughs> and with me... Oh. <laughs> I was about to introduce myself. I didn't sleep very well last night. I'm probably going to make have lapses like that myself, so here we go. Oh, we're off to uh, a rolling start. That's right. Uh, and with me is Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University. You know, I haven't mentioned your, um, your, your research bona fides lately, so you're... Uh, uh, at C Micro down there in Sao Paulo, and are you still at the one in in Bonn? ICA Institute for the Study of Labor in Bonn, Germany. All right, um, and you can find him tweeting at Beeronomics. Uh, and is anything else we should plug? Are you doing anything else interesting? Uh, no. Books coming out. Articles. Uh, articles are coming out. Yeah, thank you. All right, what's your next article? That'll be exciting for the folk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My next article is about uh, microloans and growth. Oh, that's actually pretty interesting. Would you like to know all about microloans and growth? Uh, It's actually a very simple paper. It basically says that these microloans in developing countries uh, are basically finance entrepreneurial activities that happen. The repayment happens right away, so you really got to start making money with the money you borrow, uh, and that can basically draw people away from education. And so the long-term growth prospects of a country might actually be harmed due to these microloans. So it's just a, it's a little bit of a trying to be a more holistic take on how microloans affect an economy. And were you looking at a particular country? No, it's it's a pure theory paper. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, um, the so there you go. Now, now you know a little more me. The people Although, at the Grameen Bank are going to want to you know, come after you now. I have so, to. Well, yeah. Actually, you. well, you know, it's interesting because for a long time, microloans are something you could just not speak ill of. Literally. Right. Like, totally. Totally. Like, it was the, like the this wonder. paper is an old paper, and for a while it was just getting no traction at all because people were like, ah, oh, don't, don't tell me anything bad about microloans. But there's been a lot of new evidence now that's starting to throw a little cold water on this microloan craze, really like long-term effects. Huh. And, and there um, you are, right on the cutting edge. So now all of a sudden like people are like, oh, hey, this, inter- this paper is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, so you just have to wait sometimes. A little ripen. Eventually it will come around. But, you know, this weather makes me think about my little... Uh, 
my little uh, post in, in Germany, it might be a good time to try to figure out a way to finagle a trip over there so I can sit in a beer garden and drink Hellas and yeah. eat a pretzel, uh, which I can do actually fairly successfully here. Wayfinder just posted that their Hellas is back out. Yep. The sun's out, the Hellas is out, and the pretzels are hot. So it's good times. I'll probably go soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that You have a note here that we should be asking for sponsors. That's right. Uh, and why we, not? Yeah. Because blogs are dead, but podcasts are the thing, man. Well, and All About Beer, who has been our partner, has had a really hard time getting their whole... Um, once John Hall left, mm-hmm. foreshadow, uh, we... Um, had a hard time getting like they were their, their idea of having a suite of podcasts never really happened. So um, we were kind of left swinging there. And so now we're setting out on our own mm-hmm. and going to try to find a sponsor. So if you are, a, if you're, if you want to be uh, uh, a co-conspirator for this here, fine podcast, drop us a line, Jeff at beervanablog.com. That's right. We're pretty cheap. Uh, we are not cheap. <laughs> There's nothing, absolutely nothing is cheap about this. There's no better way to advertise your brewery and beer than on our podcast. That's right. Or or, or any product. That's true. It <laughs> doesn't have to be anything cheap, to do with beer. Cheap watches. I mean, we're, we're, we're easy. <laughs> uh, okay. uh, anyway, we are looking for a sponsor, so if you're interested, give us a holler. All right. So this week, uh, our topic... Um, sort of has to do with your trip to Bellingham. <laughs> I was about to say, you were in Bellingham for Bellingham Beer Week. What a great opportunity to talk to Bellingham brewers and talk about their beer. Uh, unfortunately, you had battery problems <laughs> with your recorder. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't matter because we already had this lined up. Uh, you sat down with John Hall, as we mentioned. John was formerly the editor at All About Beer magazine and is currently editor at Craft Beer and Brewing. This is a moment of transition in the media as print magazines struggle in the face of social media and new forms of media begin to supplant them. Jeff spoke to John about the current media landscape in beer, uh, and they touched on the question of hard reporting versus boosterism, the perverse incentives writers and publishers face, the role of an editor, and what the future looks like. Meaty stuff. A lot of navel-gazing, but it should be interesting. Hey. You're navel, by the way. <laughs> Something to do with economics. Uh, actually, it has a lot to do with economics. It does. It does. Uh, yeah, print. It's so sad. You know, I was thinking um, uh, about the the demise of, of uh, local investigative germ- journalism because our local school district had this big boondoggle and they they passed a bond and promised all of these construction projects it turns out that they knew all along that the bond was way too insufficient and i'm thinking right that was a massive news story i mean it just blew my mind yeah i mean we're talking like a hundred they're talking like a hundred million dollars here this is this it's, is massive and, it's like fraud and then two things <laughs> occurred to me one is if we had a really if we still had a good local press we probably would have found out about this long before the bond measure actually came <laughs> around and then uh, it would be a much bigger deal now. Right. Exposed. Anyway, uh, so I'm all about print media, and even for beer. Think about all the things we'd learn about beer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before, hey, before we get to the news, I want to talk to you about two things all right. that you've done recently. Okay. Uh, both having to do with beer. Okay. So you participated in two little beery thingies, one with the local Zorgo House came first, right? Or no? Actually, about the same time. They happened on the same day, in fact. I left uh, in the morning. I was at Old Town Brewing, where they did a collaboration beer with me and uh, another person named Chuck uh, Bales. Kind of as a way to thank you for getting involved in their little trademark dispute, as we've mentioned previously on the pod. Right, with the city. And so we got together and came up with an idea for a beer, which was uh, like a hazy, or a uh, 
hoppy saison, so late edition hopping in a saison, which uh-huh. also looks a whole lot like a hazy IPA <laughs> uh, with saison kind of, yeast. And what kind of hops? Uh, we used a lot of different hops. So um, uh, Huck wanted to do a bitter. Uh-huh. He pitched a bitter, and I pitched this thing. But we wanted to include Huck's sort of idea. So we used uh, um, malt okay. and Challenger hops as All a bitter right. hop. Okay. Okay. And then later on, there was... Oh boy, I just can't remember. But like, but, well, I know we, I know classic we, Northwest hops, or yeah, more Nouveau hops. So okay. I know we, I know we dry hopped with Idaho Seven, uh-huh. Azaka, okay. and uh, Eldorado. So this is a very interesting mix of like three sort of distinct strains: a saison yeast, a, a a bitter base. Yeah, it wasn't really a bitter base, but um, the thing about Cezanne is it's this old style uh, uh, Belgian beer that would have had a pretty rustic approach. Sure. So, um, and in fact, in Belgium, they use English hops all the time. Yeah. So it, it makes a lot of sense to use Challenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense to use uh, Marisotter, would have been kind of trip- typical of a yeah. farmhouse uh, thing. So it, it actually worked in with that. Okay. That and, and the beer? And the beer was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I think it's one of those things. It's like our, you know, it's, it's like our homebrew thing. You, uh, you try you, when you try something new, um, you do your best to guess how all the flavors are going to line right. up, and then right. you taste it and you think, okay, yeah. I would tweak this, I would dial this a little bit differently. I would say it's a like a, a B B minus beer. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, really good beer is one that you've dialed in after batch, 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 batch. Right. Especially when you're trying something new, um, the likelihood that you hit it right on the nose is almost nil. So. And I, what is I the beer called? <laughs> they came up with a name called Hazon. So Hazon. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's oh, not terrible. I kind of like that. Uh, and then the they're, other they're, thing was the they're thinking, they're thinking of keeping that name and, and doing other stuff. Doing so, a, and tweaking and, that beer until it gets... And if they do, I said, I will take credit for all beers in perpetuity. Yes. You do this. You should. And they, they agreed that that was my, my right to lay <laughs> that claim on that, no matter how improved it gets. Uh, okay. And then the Zoigel House. Yeah. So um, at uh, Zoigel House, which is a brewery in town... Um, run by Alan Taylor, whom we interviewed for the pod. Yes. Uh, every couple of months, he comes out with worts um, of different kinds of beers, mm-hmm. and he gives them to home brewers, five gallons and a carboy. You ferment it with whatever yeast you want, do whatever you want uh, in, on the cold side, mm-hmm. and then we come back together and taste them. Okay. And so he did Hazy IPA. All right. So I thought, oh, I'm going to do... Good start. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to do a Saison yeast, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> why not? That's what you do. That's, that's <laughs> how my brain works. Uh, and they didn't have the strain I wanted, so they used Imperial yeast. They did not have the strain I wanted, which was Rustic, which uh-huh. I have used uh, in this capacity. It's fa- in fact, the, use, the yeast that was used in Hazon. Okay. And so Alan called me up and said, uh, no Rustic. What do you want to do? And, I, and he said, I got Napoleon. Is that good? And Napoleon <laughs> is um, the French farmhouse strain. Uh, so I said, eh, sure, without thinking and really doing any research or spending any time at all considering uh-huh. the ramifications of this. So I came home with my Kugel wort and I put it in my in our brew kettle and I threw some yeast in and did some open fermentation. So okay. I really popped the esters. Yeah. And then I threw it in uh, the carboy to finish fermenting, dumped a bunch of dry hops in there. And... Um, a week or two later, tasted it, and it was an atrocity. <laughs> it was just a disaster. Uh, it was oh, so it, the that Napoleon yeast produces a massive phenolic note, <laughs> which was probably enhanced by my open fermentation. Yes, and um, those hops and that phenolic note fight like dogs, like cats in a bag. <laughs> just hideous. And I would give it to Sally, and she would 
she would make this face like I had poisoned her. Uh, and so, so did you have to? Did you have to unveil it in public? Oh, absolutely. Well, I didn't have to, but, um, but they, you, they do this thing where you, everybody comes together and they vote on who has the best one. Yeah. Well, you got it. You have it, to. It was voted the worst beer. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was clearly the worst beer. Too. You have to provide the cautionary tale. Yeah. How was the best beer? Was the best beer really good? I had to leave a little earlier because we had Avengers oh. tickets, so I didn't get to taste the best beer. But there were a bunch of good beers, including Pro Tip. The kid next to me had come in with his, and he'd done Cable Car, which is the... Anchor. Exactly. The steam beer yeast. Yep. And it was really nice. And I think we should try an IPA with Cable Car, because it produced wonderful character, and I really loved it. It was my the favorite one that I had um, cool. while we were there. So, yeah, Cable Car. Let's, let's give it a go. Yeah. Yeah, and we should try a hazy IPA. Yeah. So, there you go. Okay. Well, I think that brings us now to the news. So this was the week of the annual Craft Brewers Conference, uh, and the Brewers Association's economist, Bart Watson, offered some pretty amazing numbers, um, including this one. According to Watson, uh, BA member breweries founded after 2014 collectively grew 53% and accounted for hmm. 916,000 barrels of growth in 2017. Wow. While all the older brewers, older than 2014, uh, grew just 285,000 barrels collectively, which is 1.3% growth. Whoa. That's <laughs> incredible. That is kind of incredible. Yeah, it's a little bit misleading because these are a lot of new brewers just bringing new new capacity online. It's slightly different than, I mean, you call it growth from 0%, I suppose. But um, Well, from 2014, so, so uh, probably the majority are, are actually, uh, you know, this wasn't their first year. It's 20 breweries founded after 2014. So 2015, 2016, and 2017. Oh, I see. You're saying, you're saying not since 2014, but in 2017. I yeah. get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're right. So it's probably not that skewed uh, at all. That's incredible. It's pretty incredible. I didn't, I have no comment. Yeah. <laughs> I just read well, that. Uh, you Holy know, moly. It kind of, it kind of, again, <laughs> it just seems like craft beer is coming more and more like the restaurant business where, you know, uh, there's a shot, there's becoming a shelf life a bit. Uh, and new things are are what people want to taste and what That's people scary. want to know about it is it's a little scary because yeah. because there's a lot, a lot higher fixed costs in this industry than in in restaurants so That's right. it's not as easy just to start and stop uh but beers are still up overall so that's right. They're still, they're still a rising tide. Yeah, that's right. The older breweries a lot still of, grew. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of boats can still float here. Um, but yeah, I just think it's going to be an industry that's... Where it, I don't think we've reached the steady state of churn yet. Not even close. There's going to be churn. It's going to be a lot of failures coming. Right. Which is too bad. Uh, okay, next one is Hop Breeding Company, which brought us Mosaic and Citra. They're on kind of a nice roll. Uh, last week, introduced its latest proprietary hop strain, Sabro. It's very high in essential oils as well as uh, ger- geraniol. Geraniol, thank you. And linalool. <laughs> linalool. Linalool, thank you. Markers of big flavor. And according to HBC, Sabro expresses the flavors and aromas of tangerine, coconut, tropical fruit, and stone fruit aromas with hints of cedar, mint, and cream. It's a product of open pollination with a female Neo-Mexicanus, which is an indigenous American hop. Yeah. So that's cool. Co- uh, coconut. 
Yeah, I mean, tangerine, when I read that coconut. note, it was like that, that's all the flavors: <laughs> <laughs> tangerine, coconut, tropical, and stone. That's right. Yeah, and cedar, mint, and cream. It's so true. You got it just, all. It's like whatever you want, you got it yeah. in that thing. Uh, you have to. Yeah, we'll have to try it to, to really to really see. Um, but it still it still seems like the headline stuff is the tangerine, tropical fruit, coconut, the kind of stuff that people are just craving these days. Right. Yeah, that's right. The cedar, the cedar makes me wonder if there's some. Files in there, and if it's going to have a savory note, and what I'm going to think, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah who knows? Cit- citra, I don't taste the savory, and I know some people find some objectionable flavors, but I like citra a lot. So. Yeah, I like citra a lot. I find it very clean, but I also like mosaic too. And right, so we'll see. It's the rubber. We'll <laughs> it'll decide how I'm feeling about the direction they're headed. But yeah, it's funny how these compounds just really affect people differently, and, and it seems more extreme than in a lot of other tastes in like food, and you know. Uh, the, the, the divergence of the way people experience flavor and hop is it's true it I seems kind of unique i think it's because they are so complex they have so many different yeah. um, flavor compounds that yeah. we're all picking up different components right uh so the last one which you said we should talk about yeah you didn't write down which i didn't so, write down so you gotta so, you gotta do the flyer yeah we went we wander into this uh without a script um you were interested in a post that i had earlier this week, which was uh, commenting on Budweiser's, Budweiser's new, beer, new beer, which is a red lager, a red lager based or inspired. I can't remember the actual number. I think they said so many of the articles said based on a recipe by George, based Washington. on a recipe or inspired by a recipe that found in George Washington's own like little notebook, uh, yeah. <laughs> which, uh, uh, roused well, me to anger. Yeah. Roused you, which, yeah. Got your hackles up. So first, why don't you describe his actual recipe? His actual recipe is this weird moonshiny fermented thing, Fram, it, essentially fermented molasses with a little bit of bran, bran thrown which in, which is um, the the probably wheat bran. So that's the husk of the the grain. It's not fermentable. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen some analysis, and I agree with this, that speculates that it's probably for a little bit of flavor and also head retention. So it didn't just look like a cider. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a meat. It was for sure an ale, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, they were using ale. It had to be using ale yeast. There were no lager yeasts yeah. in America then. Um, and then a whole truckload of molasses. So basically, just fermenting molasses water. Yeah, and, and, you know. it does the trick because it gives you alcohol, and off you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, it has almost nothing to do with a red lager as produced by Budweiser. Right, hundreds of years later. Uh, the other thing that struck me, and I commented on your blog, so it's actually true that I do actually read your blog once in a while. Haha. You know, I have to make sure it's still going. I'll hold uh, you to that. I try to forswear any knowledge. Which is, if you're really going to invoke, you know, the Revolutionary War hero, it seems that red is not really the color you want to emphasize. I saw that note, and I, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I wondered about that. I mean, there's red, white, and blue, so I thought maybe there they were is, kind of hinting yeah. at that. I don't know. Uh, oh, that's, of course, what they're hinting at. But The label is red and white. There is no blue, so my case is not particularly strong. Yeah, so... So very deep down, they're really actually, you know, loyalist to King George. And well, it is made up of Belgians and Brazilians. It's owned the that's, company. That's true. Maybe it's actually a sedition, seditious, <laughs> seditious product that's being introduced. This is kind of like the Russians and their fake news. You think they're trying to break us it's, from the inside? It's the Belgians and their fake beer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they're going to break the republic apart and take it back. Uh, not the Belgians, but anyway, uh, moving on. Where <laughs> are the Belgians? The Belgians are coming. All right, so let's move to the uh, to the interview you did with John Hall. You want to set us up? Yeah, uh, John and I were, as uh, you mentioned, in Bellingham for Bellingham Beer Week, and this was a lot, could this just have been last week? I think yeah, it was you should get, you week. should take a little moment to give a plug to, for Bellingham and their beer. 
Yeah, it's amazing. Bellingham would. When was the last time you were there? You used to go there all the time, but you haven't been there in a while, right? Yeah, it's been I don't know four years, maybe something like that. It's, it's been radically transformed. There are twelve or thirteen breweries there. Wow. Uh, and almost all of them have been founded in the last two or three years. Wow. They would probably account for the part of this. Growth. Yes, exactly. Um, and they are, they had, uh, some wonderful breweries there. There were, there were two breweries in particular that, that, that are new, that really impressed me. One mm-hmm. called structures, mm-hmm. which is, um, doing, uh, well, they make hazy IPAs to kind of, keep things going yep. but their real interest is in barrel aged saisons and they do these really subtle sophisticated saisons nice people come for the hazies uh-huh. and then that allows stay them for, to, and stay for the saison i don't know if they <laughs> stay for the saisons i sat there and watched a bunch of people walk in and they were all writing hazies and they had that yep. amazing saison on and i kept thinking uh people you're missing the missing the boat but yeah. that was great and then um just right around the corner literally a stone's throw away is another brewery called aslan uh-huh. and they're doing very similar stuff um they have a, a brew pub and so they have more food it's like a bigger um structures is just the tap room model actually kind of reminded me of um uh cloudburst in seattle yeah. mm-hmm. had a little bit of that feel and but aslan is a big airy beautiful brewery mm-hmm. uh, the brew pub great great food um and they have a, a little bit more of a diverse menu. They do hazies, but they do everything. Um, but again, their their big interest is barrel aged stuff. And they have this cool separate building called the Depot, which has uh, dozens of casks on one wall, and it's got these plush leather chairs. It makes me feel like I should be smoking a cigar in there. Nice, it's really cool. And um, so that's a wonderful place to go to. So those those two guys are really rocking it. And then. Um, Chuck and Ed is another brewery that's in town, which yep. you know about, and they mm-hmm. do, um, amazing lagers, German yeah. style beers. Yeah. And, um, they, they were really rocking it. I've never been to Chuck and Ed. I've had some of their beers in various places, but it was nice to just sit down. I, I, the first time I was there, which was a night that John gave a speech. Um, I just drank through half pints of basically everything they made and it was great. Yeah. So. Yeah. I had a Chuck and Ed when we were in Seattle. Uh, for those who don't know, Bellingham is about halfway between Seattle and, and Vancouver, British Columbia. It's on the Bellingham Bay, overlooks the San Juan Islands. It's just spectacular setting. Yeah, it's uh, pretty nice. It was it's perfectly bit, sunny when we were there too, yeah. which is all right. Uh, yeah, on a beautiful day, there's almost no place better in the world to be than Bellingham with a good beer in your hand. Yeah, and there's plenty of good beers to have. Yeah. Uh, so John and I Col- sat down in one of these new places called Kolshan. Okay. Kolshan, Kolshan, K-U-L-S-H-A-N. I don't know how you pronounce it. Okay. Uh, and we had this wonderful talk. Um, and you can hear a little bit of the background noise. We're in a pub, but I think it actually sounds quite nice. And if we could get that quality in all our recordings, I think it would be pretty cool. But um, anyway, we talked about uh, the beer media. John, there literally is nobody knows more about uh, media than John, who has edited two magazines. Before that, he was with the New York Times as mm-hmm. a reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's done a lot of, uh, he does podcasts. He hosts podcasts. Um, he's on social media. I mean, he knows, he, he's the smartest guy going uh in terms of um overall picture of what the what what media the media landscape is like so we we just sat down and i cracked open his brain and reached inside and pulled out all his wonderful wisdom uh that's a lovely image thank you yeah, <laughs> yeah so let's uh, let's let's get inside Figur- figuratively <laughs> of course let's get inside john's brain all right so let's uh let's hear it uh, I am here with the illustrious John Hall, uh, 
who... So you just start off every show lying? Is yeah, that how this works? You know, we, okay. we always polish the apple to begin with. Yeah. Uh, for people who don't know John, and I can't imagine there are A any lot of them. people. I founded Goose Island. Uh, you are the... Uh, currently, you're the editor of Craft Beer and Brewing. Senior editor, yeah. Senior editor. Does that mean... It's, so we're going to talk in a yeah, little we'll bit what that means. Yeah. But, um, because there's all these different titles yeah. editors have. Before that, you were the... Editor. Editor. Yeah. Uh, now you now, now, now I'm spooked. Uh, <laughs> all about beer. Yes. Um, and you're a book writer. You're a, you've just turned in a manuscript for your next book. Yep. Uh, actually, you've done Yeah, we're in galleys. Yeah, yeah we're, we're almost done with it. And that's going to be called? Drink Beer, Think Beer, Getting to the Bottom of Every Pint. All right. And when will we... September, September 4th through Basic Books, available for pre-order now, shameless plug. Yeah, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to goad you into it. We, you know, we're all about shameless plugs here. So what we want to do is talk a little bit about um, uh, the media in general and the beer media in particular. Yeah. And you are maybe the best guy in the entire industry to talk to about this because you have been a working reporter since you were how old? 16. So let's go all the way back to John Hall as a 16-year-old. How, how, how does that even happen? Like, why, why do they hire 16-year-old kids? And how did you get that job? Um, there's a blizzard that rolled through New Jersey where I grew up uh, in January of 96. And it was this big blizzard of 96, they called it. And it was the first time that I really remembered uh, the television stations in the area. And this is really before, like, CNN or Fox News, like, you know, before, like, constant breaking news and a constant news cycle even of even the internet um, and so all of the TV stations in, the, in New York City broke in and were doing 24 hour breathless coverage of we're outside and it's snowing and now let's go to Long Island we're outside and it's snowing and I'm watching this and I'm thinking this is really cool these guys get to be on TV and they're out in the snow covering a blizzard and so uh, a short time later I needed something to do for the summer and so I put a resume together, a 16-year-old who had nothing on it. It was basically like, hi, I'm 16. And I sent it to every television station in the area. And the only people who got back to me was the PBS affiliate in New Jersey, uh, NJN, New Jersey Network Television, that had a nightly newscast at 6, 7.30, and 11. So they broadcast live at 6 and then repeat uh, later on in the night. And they got back to me and they offered me an internship in the newsroom. And this place was so, it's PBS, right? So low budget. So the intern, all of 16, they sent me out pretty much right away to interview people and go out with a camera crew. And I was never on camera, but it was always like the hand that you'd see holding the microphone, that was me. And so like my second day, I was sent out to interview Governor Christy Whitman of New Jersey. I have wow. no business, <laughs> I have no business like, like talking to this woman, like the, the head of, uh, of the state. Um, but I was bitten, so from there um, I transitioned into print, and I worked for newspapers for a bunch of years, and then um, various places, and got to travel around and do really cool stuff, and covered breaking news, and covered crime, and covered politics. I eventually covered multiple blizzards, um, and they are miserable. Like, they are not fun to cover, because, hey... It's snowing, and I'm outside right. for hours on end. Um, your 16-year-old self. Yeah, my 16-year-old self, like, by the time I was 27, was like, you know, screw you, man. Like, <laughs> like you, really, you really messed us up here. Um, and then, yeah, I started writing about beer pretty early on. Uh, uh, well, wait a second. Yeah. We, the, 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 All right. the, the listener should know, you wrote for The Grey Lady. I mean, you're... you're I spent eight years at The New York Times, yeah. This is kind of a remarkable thing. And I started there when I was 20. Yeah. Why the hell did you ever leave The Times? 
The newspaper industry changed dramatically. I mean, the whole nature of media has changed dramatically um, in, in the last decade. But it, certainly in the first decade that I was working, it changed significantly. The Internet came on. Uh, ad revenue dropped. People suddenly were getting you know, their, their news over, uh, over their computers and expected it to be free, where they had once paid you know, a nickel or a dollar or whatever it was for the newspaper over time. People were like, oh, I can just get it online. Um, and there's all this rise of niche sites and everything else like that. So, um, yeah, so I left the paper, um, and I bounced around, and I worked for some other newspapers as well because uh, their, their coverage in New Jersey, which I had been covering, changed. And then, uh, But I had been writing about beer periodically uh, and learning a lot about it and sort of dipping my toe into the water more and more and more. Um, when I'd go and I'd travel around for the time or wherever else, um, I'd always stop in the local brewery. And there weren't many back in the day. Like, um, I remember the, like, one of the first pieces that I wrote uh, for, the, for the Times, like back in 2003, was like, you know, of the 700 microbreweries in the country, and now we're at 6,500 or 6,700, like whatever it is. But like, it's, And 700 seemed like a lot. And 700 seemed like a lot. We were also calling them microbreweries. <laughs> Um, so a lot's changed, but um, so I found it to be a really cool thing. And then uh, Daniel Bradford, the former owner of All About Beer magazine, I'd freelanced for them a couple of times, was looking to take the magazine in a new direction. And uh, uh, their previous editor, Greg Barbera, had left. And so Bradford asked me if I wanted the job. And I turned him down flat the first time. And then he came back to me a couple of months later. And uh, so I spent five years uh, as the editor there. And then... Uh, left about a year or so ago, and I've been at Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for the last uh, almost a year now. Um, yeah, I was looking at my notes and missed that. How long were you uh, at all about beer? How long? Was almost that five. Been? Almost five years. Five years. Yeah. Uh, that's when you and I became friends. I started writing for you then. Yeah, and, uh, we knew each other beforehand, but yeah. But that was it. Was nice to come into your orbit then. Sure. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the whole beer writing thing. Okay. Because uh, we'll talk about maybe the state of beer writing in general. Beer is one of those things. It really reminds me a lot of, of sports writing in that, uh, uh, first of all, nobody cares about the writing itself. It's a really low form of writing. It seems like the, the, the expectation for the prose is pretty low. And there's also this kind of expectation that you're going to be a booster. So you are an old ink-stained wretch, yes. like from real journalism. Yeah. Coming into beer writing, what were your observations of the state of the, in, you know, beer beer writing world? Was was that a shock to you? Is it? Did, did you find it? Yeah. I think I, I think it's different. I think it, it's certainly different now, and I, I I don't think that I think that there's a lot of people who have there's a lot of opinions, and there's not a lot of fact that happens. And so when you see a lot of beer writing that's out there today, or people who are writing about beer, it's it often starts with, well, I think, or I tasted, or I went to, and it doesn't actually get to the heart of the matter. And so I think there's a difference between writing and journalism. And quite honestly, I think we need more journalists covering the industry. And that's, I, I was pretty clear to, to say, I, 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 I get the, the the thing from people all the time where it's like, well, you're in the industry, meaning beer. And I said, no, no, I'm not actually. I cover the industry, but my profession is journalism. Like, I, when I was a newspaper reporter, I, one day I'd be covering the Environmental Protection Agency in New Jersey, and the next day I'd be at a uh, crime scene in Camden, and then, you know, days after that I'd be covering casinos, or, you know, so I had to adapt quite a bit, but my job was to write about the day's news. And so my job now is to still write about beer and to find good stories to publish about beer. 
did people ask were you organized crime? Oh, you're you're an organized crime. Right, exactly. Like, oh, so you are. You know, you're you're a wise guy. You're a mafioso. Uh, well, coming from New Jersey, people just assume that right, anyway. Of course. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't have enough vowels in my name for that. So, I, I came I came to writing about beer not as a journalist, and I will confess that the idea of reporting a story was un- was. It's something I'm not really that comfortable with even today. today. But I don't think most people know the distinction you're talking about. So will you describe the difference between writing about beer and reporting beer? What is reporting and what are you talking about when when you say that? So you mentioned that there's a lot of boosters, right, um, who are out there. And I think that there's a lot of great blogs that share news or share uh, factoids that are happening around wherever they live or something that they're seeing interesting happening in beer. Um, and, and there's some that, that stuff that's great for that. Um, when you're a booster and you're just like, hey, everything's great, um, that's disingenuous to your readers, to the drinkers, and even to the breweries themselves. And so I think anybody who comes in has to come in with an open eye but also a critical eye at the same time. And so um, it's, it's, it's when you go to a brewery, if you're well-versed enough in it, and this is where I think that a lot of beer writers um, are not well-versed, is that they're not taking the time to learn styles. Um, they're saying, okay, you know, like I, you know, Mosaic, everybody loves Mosaic IPAs, so I'm going to give this Mosaic IPA a five-star on my thing. It's like, well, yeah, but like, how does it compare to the style? You know, do you even know the style? Do you know how the style is made? And I'm just using that as an example, but... I think in order to write about a subject or to have some knowledge, you have to do more reading and you have to have this critical eye to come in with it. And you, you have to be confident enough in yourself to know that if somebody's doing something wrong, you're not just going to look the other way, but you're going to stand up and say, hey, this place has dirty glassware or you know, this pilsner that this brewery uh, that we've loved for a long time has acetaldehyde in it or, you know, whatever. Because And you also have to know what dirty glassware is and you also have to know what acetaldehyde is because the people who come to your site, who come to your magazine, who come to whatever you're, wherever you're publishing, um, they're relying on you for information. And so you just simply saying, hey, they have a great mosaic IPA doesn't actually do anybody any favors, you know, because the reader doesn't learn anything new. Um, the brewer isn't getting positive feedback no matter what and like it doesn't it doesn't kick the can down the road and I think we need more of that so I know just from my own blog stats that if I post a thing about hey guys this new hazy IPA whatever 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 especially if it's positive gets a lot more traction than if I say hey guys these guys make bad beer or uh, you know put out you know do these things so as a pub, you know, as a publisher, there's this kind of you get a lot more clicks, you get a lot, you get a lot more magazines when you're a booster too. So I get that uh, as a reporter, you feel. I assume that as a reporter, you feel like your uh, your commitment is to the reader, and yet if the reader is doesn't want that stuff, what do you you know what do you do? And that was something that we struggled with at all about. Um, John Page was the managing editor of the magazine, and he and I were really a team who worked uh, really closely together with a lot of other talented folks. But uh, but you know, Page and I would have these conversations all the time of you know we should do this because it's in the public interest or we should do this because this is an important thing to do not because it would necessarily get a lot of clips and we and we would argue back and forth and we would hear from management uh, and and argue back and forth of like you know like we do need to drive traffic and so we we would and it would work out 
you know, well, but then you also have to do for every story where you're writing about, hey, this isn't a great beer, then you can also do the, you know, not necessarily the clickbaity stuff, but the stuff that will get people um, interested in the hopes that the really engaged consumers will go that extra deeper level with you, that will read about a really obscure place. You know, everybody can write about Asheville, everybody can write about, you know, Denver and all of these places that are sort of beer geek heavens, you know, but when you start Thank writing you about, well, sure, but like, but, you know, but when you want to then write about, you know, Bend or you want to write about, uh, you know, Bellingham. Bellingham, Washington, where we are right now, or you want to write about a place that doesn't get a lot of it and it's not going to necessarily get a lot of clicks, but it is interesting to cover. The 5, 10, 20% of your readers who do that, they're going to appreciate it. And if you tell them truthful stuff, they will come back and you can build a stronger base as opposed to the people who are just Googling around for, hey, what's the new Hazy IPA? Oh, I found this piece. I'm going to read this and then never come back to this site again. So you build trust over time by doing the exciting but also the bedrock stuff. I'm not going to belabor this point anymore, but right. I, will, I will say... Uh, just one last kind of uh, it's the the last beat of the dead horse Michael Jackson you know the, the, of course the, the, the famous beer writer said that uh, his sort of approach was he didn't talk about bad breweries which is a matter of course he, he felt like he should be a promoter of the industry um, and he wrote in a different time and I think it was a much more justifiable point of view but he was such a giant and it's, his perspective seems to really have kind of carried forward and I'm wondering um how you relate to that now about the idea of not saying negative about it, you know, maybe a burgeoning industry versus a mature industry. I, I struggle with the Jackson question quite a bit. I never, I never met the man, but I've read just about everything that he's done. Um, you know, fortunate all about beer when I was there. Uh, he ran a column forever, uh, right up right. until his death, and I've read all of those and you know, read all of his books and everything. He wouldn't write about a bad beer, but. And a lot of times the omissions were glaring. That's true. And <laughs> you knew how to read the the, the, the negative space. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 I'm curious to know how his opinion would carry over today because it was it was a different time. And there's so many people who have started blogs and 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 he's a and he's a giant in the industry. But I do wonder if he was still alive today, um, if it would carry the same weight with a lot of the brewers. I look at it this way, right? The brewers, there's a lot of brewers who open up today, and I'm talking April of 2018, who don't see Sierra Nevada Pale Ale as the benchmark of the style or as a reason to get into the industry as opposed to brewers who opened up, say, 20 years ago and who were inspired by that. And so I, I think that there are writers and bloggers and folks who are covering beer right now who are getting into it who don't have that Jackson perspective because it's just not on their radar because we are in such a fast-moving um, industry these days. I do think, though, if there's a brewer that people are hyped up about, if there is a brewer that... Uh, you know, people are saying like, oh my God, I'm going to stand in line on the weekends and you're only going to talk about how great the beer is, but you're not going to talk about how if their cans warm, they explode in your garage after you bring them home. <laughs> you're doing a lot of people a disservice. More important, most importantly, I think the brewery who's not getting that feedback, all they're hearing is how great they are and they now have no reason to change. And that's, I think that could actually hurt the beer industry going forward. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, it's it's one of those emperor has no clothes things. If, yeah. If we, 
just only praise breweries, then we get into this place where when people have a bad beer from that brewery, then sure. they get totally turned off and they don't know why everybody's praising them. You know, it, it's interesting. You say the emperor has no clothes, and, I, and I've, I've said this before. I remember years ago, I was at the Extreme Beer Festival in Boston that the Alstrom Brothers run for a beer advocate. And uh, Sam Calagione from Dogfish Head was there, and Sam takes a lot of risks. Um, uh, and he has definitely moved the needle in beer collectively, and, and I give him a lot of credit for that. But he was running a, a particular beer through a randle of raw bacon for some reason. <laughs> and I got an early sample of it, and it was undrinkable. Like, it was, it was truly, truly terrible. And so I watched all these, you know, like these beer nerds, these beer geeks line up to kiss Sam's ring, you know, because, of course, he's Sam, and it's what you do. And it was fascinating to me to watch them be so excited and then get and taste the beer and smell it and be like, you know, like raising their eyebrows and being a little scrunchy faced on it and then dumping the beer after tasting it into a trash can and then going and finding something else. Nobody was finishing that pint. I don't know if that, that didn't hurt Sam, you know, and I don't know if that word ever, you know, got back to the brewery. I mean, I assume so because we've never seen a raw bacon, you know, Randall since, I hope. Right. Um, but there are people, if you're willing to be honest with yourself, as opposed to being like, and this was like a uniform thing, like where it's just like this is this isn't just like oh I have a taste for it or not. This was like this was just a clear miss. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to see that that still exists or can exist. It sucks for the brewery, but like it's good for us to collectively be like, okay, like the emperor does have no clothes, or this is. You know, maybe we're not missing something here. Maybe this guy is not such the genius that like we can't appreciate it. It's just this is, this is weird. Yeah. Everybody writes a all good novelists write a bad novel. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about what an editor does. <laughs> so you talked about like, and I've never understood this managing editor, editor in chief. Yeah. Are you now? What's your title? I'm the senior editor. Senior editor. Yeah. It just uh, sounds fancy. I know what a copy editor is. Yeah. That's uh, of which I am not. Yeah. They're, they're the only people I ever actually deal with. They're the ones who fix fix my prose and who I would love to have. On they the are blog. they are the true heroes. They are of the journalism. true heroes. Yeah. Let's not all heroes wear capes. Yeah. <laughs> so t talk about uh, you know what, what it means to edit it. What, what do you do as an editor? So uh, a lot of places have different different um, definitions of how an editor is. So in my experience, the editor when I was at All About, um, uh, I, I would work on content and big picture stuff. And so I would talk with you and other writers uh, to formulate a story. So if I get a pitch in that said, hey, I want to write about X, be like, maybe that's a fit, maybe that's not, maybe if you compare or you combine X with this, you know, Y idea that we've had and we can come up with a new story and we go from there. Um, uh, John Page, as the managing editor, uh, made sure that everything got done. And so in my farewell column for the magazine, which ran about a year or so ago, uh, I compared the magazine to being on a train. And uh, Paige was the, uh, the engineer keeping the train on track and making sure we were on time to the next station and feeding coal into the machine and making sure that it was going. And I was the conductor having a grand old time with the passengers in the back. <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, it, it, but it varies, you know, um, at, at Craft Beer and Brewing. Um, I spend a lot of time on our on our website and a lot of time uh, uh, organizing uh, the reviews after the panels go through it, uh, working with some writers, writing a lot of content myself, um, and sort of just keeping the editorial mission uh, you know moving forward. Uh, Jamie Bogner is the editorial director. He's the big picture guy at the magazine, um, you know, and I deferred to him for a lot of you know what happens. I mean, this is one of those interesting, uh, you know, if you're if you're if you're any kind of 
magazine or, or you know anybody that puts out beer content, you you can you can talk about you can do beer reviews, you can talk about history, you can talk about technical aspects, you can talk about the culture of beer, you can do vox like explainers, like there's a million different things you can do. Yeah. Uh, as the editor, how do you shape that? And then from from like a big template, like you know, with with sort of slotting out what what you want, how do you go out and find people to write the articles? How does that all work? So it works a couple of different ways. So when it comes to, we didn't do theme issues at all about um, uh, craft beer and brewing does. So we're just wrapping up um, our lager issue right now. So it's 96 pages of mostly lager content. And so you can do a really deep dive into a subject and we print uh, six issues a year. And so there's the stout issue and pale ale and, you know, and then we do some other fun stuff as well. And that's fun for the home brewer as well to sort of do a deep dive and we try to have some seasonality to it as well. So the IPA issue is typically timed around harvests where people are going to start thinking about wet hops and the hops are sort of come back in vogue even though they're year round. Um, you know, at all about, it would work in a couple of different ways. And I think that it, it's good for all websites. You have to think ahead. If you're saying to yourself, Oh, it's the if you start seeing things on the 500th anniversary of the Rheinheimske boat, um, it means that everybody else has done it, and anything that you're going to put together is kind of slapdash. And I said that because you wrote a story for for all about on that anniversary, but we started talking about that story eight six to eight months beforehand yeah, yeah. because we knew it was coming up and we wanted to get it right. And so you have to be looking forward uh, uh, to things. And then you also need a balance as well for for a general magazine. If you want to be an all-review site, that's great. If you want to be an all-travel site, that's great. For a general interest site, you need to have a little travel, little reviews, uh, you know, stories that make you go, huh, like that's that's kind of interesting. Some history, some current events. You need to have like a good mix. You think about a time or a newsweek or one of those where you have something that is uh, interesting to read um, for pretty much everybody. And that you hope that somebody who might pick it up because they want to see the travel piece on Austin, Texas, uh, then might also find, you know, a piece on the hop harvest really interesting. And then again, that builds a stronger base and builds a stronger knowledge. Um, you know, I, I, working with writers goes two ways. Uh, I find a lot of writers. I read a lot. You know, there's folks who, you know, who I admire who have just picked up the phone and been like, hey, I love your stuff. I'd love for you to, you know, do something. Um, and then other times, you know, it's I get pitched on something where, you know, hey, I'd love to write about X, Y, and Z. And if it's a fit, great. And if it's not, you know, we can try to find a way to make it work. You've but been, there's no one size fits all. So you've been editing... Um, magazines for something like seven years. Yes, yeah, six, 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 seven years. Six, seven yeah. years. How has the quality of uh, writing changed in those that period of time? The people you've had a chance to work with. You know, I I think that the people who do it well have only gotten better, um, uh, and that there's people who come on. And I think this is true in any industry where it's largely freelance-based or largely passion-based. Um, you know, you get people who... Uh, I remember, like, so I'll, I'll back up. The, the, the beer bloggers conference is a thing that happens, uh, and it's run by an outside company. And they did their first one, I think, about eight years or so ago. And a lot of people went out to Boulder, and I was still relatively new, and I was curious, so I went out. And uh, Jay Brooks, who's a writer who lives out in California, was also there. Uh, and Jay and I just kind of hung out in the back of the room, and there's a lot of bloggers who were there from the time, you know, of like, hey, I'm, you know, this is Mike's beer blog, or this is, <laughs> right. you, know, uh, you know, beer lovers, or like whatever it was. 
Uh, I was going to say Birvana, but that's actually a thing. Because uh, I'm looking at you. It's copyrighted. Um, and a lot of those folks were saying, like, well, how do I get free beer? Or how do I get famous? Or how do I get, you know, and it was, they wanted it to happen overnight. They wanted, they, you know, and so the people who have put in the time to make it work, and, and as you want to, Jeff, like, it's a slog. Every day, like, you have to work at it, you know. It's, I, I always think of Tony Bennett, who said, like, you have to practice every day, even if you don't have a show. And if you, if you don't practice for one day, maybe you're okay. If you don't practice for two, maybe you can fool them. If you don't practice for three, now you're only fooling yourself. You have to do it every single day. Um, and a lot of the time without a lot of reward. You know, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of, you know, not a lot of reward. Um, but over time, you can build a good base. And so I look at people like, you know, Brian Roth, who, you know, started in the last couple of years, who's, you know, done some great work and, you know, but really puts his time in. And Oliver Gray, before he went to, to work for Guinness, was doing a lot of that as well. And there, there's folks like uh, Carlo Louder out in uh, Portland, Oregon, who... Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine, I'm sorry. Um, I'm looking at you again and thinking yeah, of Portland, Oregon. But, um, but she, big she, fan you know, of Carlos. Right, of course, yeah, no, yeah, no, she's she, in the wrong, well, the wrong Portland, the other Portland, the other Portland, the East <laughs> Portland. Um, they love to be called the other Portland. By but the way. she, uh, yeah, I, I, you said it. But um, uh, you know, but there's folks who have been doing this for for a while, um, and you know, even you and even me and you know, even Jay and all these folks who do this on a daily basis. There's a reason that we've been able to do what we do. Brian Yeager and other folks like that, um, because we're at it all the time. To expect to write a blog post and suddenly be recognized or have Brinks trucks rolling up, it's just unrealistic. Yeah, it, it is. And All right, so let's break in here for a minute because uh, I'm starting to get thirsty. Yeah. And, and we, we have beer. We have beer. Not only beer, but free beer. Free beer. So this goes back to something. Behavioral uh, economics. Yes. Free beer is, is more valuable than any beer you, uh, you would buy. Right. We had uh, a listener... Evan Sally, uh -huh. uh, who lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Who Not happens, just a random listener. That's right. I, it happens to be a brewery founder and uh, I guess the CEO of the Fair State Brewery Brewing, Brewing Collective. Brewing Cooperative. 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 Thank yes. you. Uh, who, who emailed having heard that and said, hey, how would you like some free beer? And I cleverly said, yes. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank well you. I, I improved. I uh I nailed it. So this is the the Fair State Brewing Cooperative is a brewing cooperative. Apparently, you can become a member. Right. Uh, we were trying to see a little bit of information on their on their website. I don't know exactly what membership yields, but uh, but there a it is. A warm feeling, certainly. Yeah. Um, he sent us four beers, two of which we'll try. But I just want to give a shout out to one: the fact that they're in cans. So I assume they've managed the journey well and are well preserved. And two, the cans are beautiful. They are. They're really um, brightly colored. Uh, very seem very contemporary, and um, they do just attract the eye. I can imagine on a on a you know a grocery store shelf, you'd be, your your eye would be really attracted to these. So, yeah, and I, know, and good looking and, cans. So things I like: one, beer in cans; <laughs> two, nice, uh, good, clean graphic design, colorful, good; and three, sixteen ounce cans. I've decided that's that's my that's my bliss point. Sixteen that's, ounce cans. That's about right for me. All right. Well, three for three. Yeah. So, so let's we're done. Should, right. we, should we get back to the? Oh no, let's taste the beer. Let's taste the beer. So we should do the pills first. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we yeah to say what they send. So they sent a, a pills. What's the name of the pills? Pills. <laughs> 
Oh, you're right. Pills. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't kid you. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, then, uh, and then sort of moving up, they sent a, a Vienna lager. Right. Called Vienna lager. Uh, then they start getting a little more creative. Uh, they have a... Um, what they call a distinctly haze-free IPA that they brewed with Surly Brewing, also of Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I'm not sure which side of the river Surly's on. Uh, Minneapolis, I'm pretty Called sure. Clarity of Purpose. And this can just rocks, man. This is a beautiful can. It's all kinds of colors looking great. Uh, and then um, the other one that we're going to try is their Hazy IPA, which uh, looks like it's called Mirror Universe. Um, this one is a less colorful can, but all, but pretty far out. It's got like it kind of looks like when the uh, when the uh, Millennium Falcon goes into warp speed, no hyperspace, whatever they call it. Right. Uh, this is a hazy IPA brewed with oats, wheat, barley, and too many hops. Ah, all things I approve of. So this this bad boy's got purportedly uh, forty IBUs. The Pilsner I'm holding uh, Ooh, with um, four point nine percent alcohol. Nice. Described as a hoppy German-style pill. Well, oh, sorry. It looks I'm beautiful. crashing into the mic with it. It looks beautiful. You actually, you, you, the window's to your back, so I can see the sunlight shining through the pills, and it is clear and golden, nice and bright. It's got a big-ass head on it. It and, does have uh, a big-ass head. I had to sort of power through that. That's mm. it. It is crisp. I call that an operator failure. 100%. Mm. It's got a nice little snap of sulfur, which I love. Give me mm. a little crispness on the front. Mm. It's pretty hoppy. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah, it's um, you're right. It's got a real sulfur a sulfur note. It's quite hoppy. Yeah, Pilsner. <laughs> it's uh, it's very clean. It doesn't have some of that rustic grain note you get from a Czech style. But um, I'm smelling the wrong thing there. But it's not. Well, it's got a lot of huh. I was smelling the mic. I didn't sleep well last night. Uh, apparently, um, I like the fact it's four point nine percent. It's a very sessionable. It's we we keep talking about how uh, how hoppy it is. It is. It does have a bitter snap, but not one that's going to overwhelm you after a couple of glasses. No, I think part of the reason it, it seems uh, more bitter is because it's it's a very nice dry mm-hmm. uh, finishes very with a nice dry finish so it's uh exposes the hops a little bit more but i like that i think it's that was clearly by design yep uh i give that high marks i do as well it's not actually it's not a pilsner you'd find here you can't find a pilsner like that around here that i know of one that's got that aggressively hopped like that or at least in a, in a way that's successful <laughs> yeah ecliptic makes a pretty hoppy beer a pretty hoppy pilsner which i haven't had in oh, that's recently. true yeah i haven't had that in years so I'm, i'd like to compare it with that i think that's probably a similar beer all right i'm gonna i'm gonna move right on move right on man the train on because now we're getting to the mirror universe hazy ipa uh hazies are all the thing i've been drinking a lot of hazy ipas you're a hazy fan i'm a big time hazy fan um but you like all the ipas i do i like all the ipas but i'm just digging this i'm i'm riding this wave man i love it you know, you're young at heart. Just yeah, you're, me, you're old of body, but you, you're you're right there with the trend. Just give me my surfboard. I'm gonna ride this wave all the way in until <laughs> she breaks on the shore. So it's hazy. It's it's got that. That's yeah, an eight on the patented haze scale. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I I call it an eight. I give it to you. Maybe a seven. That's uh, what you're thinking. Maybe a seven. I was thinking a seven and a half. Yeah. Yes, seven eight. Okay. Seven, seven eight. Uh, 
There's, light, I light, can't see your hand. Light straw sure. colored. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's good and hazy. But it's not like, um, it's not, it's a, not milkshake haze. Right, I right. mean, it's not creamy. It's not a tan. It's not a creamy. It's still translucent. You can, light, light does penetrate. Yeah, which is good. I, I, when it gets to 10, I'm, I get off the boat. It's got a classic aroma. Do they tell us what? Oh, so I got new contacts for my 50 year old eyes. Oh man, that's good. Really improved my vision, but it means when I pick up a can, I can't see it. I got to get out my readers. Wow. That is a, that is a really nice example of the style that is juicy. That has got a really nice mouthfeel. All right. I'll give it. I'll be the judge of this. If I were to really nitpick, I would probably say I like just a tiny bit more bitter. But I also just had this bitter pill, so it's hard. I might be biased after I eat drinking that. I don't think there's any mosaic in this. Ooh, that means Jeff likes it, by the way. Decoding. <laughs> there's nothing savory about that at all. That's nice, isn't it? That's juicy and fruity. Wait, is this what everybody tastes yes. when they have? Yes, yes, Jeff, that's it. That's <laughs> the, the scales are falling off my eyes. This is this is all right. Wow, it's like you took the red pill. Uh, yes, Jeff, welcome, welcome. This is this is the hazy IPA in its glory. Yeah, I agree with you that uh, it is brewed more to the New England originals than it is to kind of the in, it, here in the northwest we have a variant with a little bit more bitterness yeah, yeah. Um, and i agree that i i kind of like the bitterness but man that's some nice juice right there i find just a little you know a little hint of bitterness helps balance that yeah it gives it some structure that uh, but sweet mouthfeel but boy oh boy that's some that's some nice juice i gotta see what the hops are I'm, if if it's possible to figure yeah, that out very quickly it's just too many that's all they say too, too many hops by the way, this is a good, good. Is I, I, I would be interested to know. Analogger, all bottled beers. It's not on there. They're, oh man, they make a Lichtenhainer. Come on. <laughs> all right, all right. This you is a brewery. A, you have me at a disadvantage. Let's describe a Lichtenhainer. And this is a formerly defunct beer style uh, that is. Um, it's a. It's kind of like a a cross between a Rauch beer, mm-hmm. smoky, mm-hmm. and a Berliner Weisse. Sour, mm. so it's a smoky sour, and um, they are typically not well well loved. They, <laughs> modern palates uh, do not cotton to them. Oh, they make a Grodzitski, which is. Um, uh, and I'm glad to see that they use the the Polish uh, name instead of Grotzer, which is the uh, ah uh, the one I, re- I recognize. Yeah, yeah. and that's the non soured uh, smoky wheat beer. So, huh, I can't find anything of this new one. So, whatever it is, it's nice. And they have a really interesting lineup. They have a lot. Evan, So, okay, job, here you man. go. You ready? There is mosaic in it. It's, oh. it's Citra, Mosaic, and Eldorado. Ah, oh, Eldorado. My favorite. It's got, you know, they use wheat notes, and that gives it kind of a nice smooth mouthfeel. A little bit fuller mouthfeel. That's oh. where I think a little more, a little more bitterness would come in. But man, it's so good. My experience, uh, uh, I think this is true. If Eldorado has, or if uh, the mosaic is used entirely as a uh, dry hop, mm-hmm. I think it's it's less savory to me. Oh. Um, and I don't know if that was the case here or not. But um, I, I'm not getting any savory. I'm getting all juice, all juice. Nice. All right. Well, good job, uh, Fair State. 
Yep. So once again, this is Fair State Brewing Cooperative in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Very difficult to know if we would have liked this beer if we had to pay for it. We might have savaged it. <laughs> but it being free and all, it seems delightful. It's especially good because it's That's free beer. Right. No. Uh, in all seriousness, these are two uh, very accomplished beers. And thank you very much for sending them to us. It will not surprise you to learn that on my own, I would choose the Pilsner nine times out of ten. Yeah. That's a really nice hazy, but... Mm. Those Give me the, that Pilsner. You know, it's funny because those are the two beers I basically almost drink exclusively these days. Right, it's true. It's uh, they're drink, right, right smack down in the middle. Yeah, I basically that's right. Yeah, I, I, I sort of reach for one or the other depending on, you know, the barometric pressure, the temperature, <laughs> my mood. You know, <laughs> but for some reason I'm just those are the two things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's get back to our uh, your disc- chat with John Hall. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what the state of uh, beer writing, like the, the opportunities to get out there in the forums and all that. I mean, so let, let's use let's use the six seven years that you've been in it as a kind of a model. When you started, I'm sure that very few of your very little of your traffic was coming via social media. You know, if you're online, like social media is not such a, a giant thing, and now it's it's like determinative if you don't have. Uh, social media following, you're in big trouble. And I know that when you were on About Beer, All About Beer had an insane social media following, like 85, 90,000 followers on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, I think it's actually uh, larger than that. But, um, you know, I have to to give credit where it's due. Before I came on, uh, there's a guy who worked for the magazine named Wynn Bassett, who... um, uh, was huge into Twitter and Facebook and Instagram even like Instagram before Instagram was Instagram as it were um, and he spent a lot of time cultivating an audience and building an audience and engaging and engaging and engaging and I remember like uh, I'd shared a room with him at GABF uh, before I was editor but he was working at the magazine and you know we're out late as you are at the Great American Beer Festival and um, uh, I get up at like 5 a.m. Uh, to, to, to use the, the toilet and uh, as I'm coming back into the room it's double beds in the room as I'm walking back I just see him sitting up in bed and I can see the glow of his screen reflecting <laughs> on him it's 5 a.m. Um, and I'm like kind of looking at him but I'm like I, I was out until 2 so I just pass back out in bed and we're out for, for, for beers later on in the afternoon I was like hey man were you up at like 5 a.m. like on social media? And he was like, it was 8 o'clock on the East Coast. And I was like, but everybody's here. Like, what Like what are you doing? Um, but he was really sort of plugged in that way. And that, that helped, I think, the magazine quite a bit of getting into a new audience and finding a way to be engaged. But also, you know, working on the SEOs. And, yeah, it, it's stuff that has definitely changed over time. Um, I'm not saying that we ever did stuff that was – specifically geared towards those sites because we didn't uh, it was not on purpose um, and sometimes things would take off and sometimes things wouldn't and the algorithms are continuously changing but it's nice to have an audience because you're guaranteed to at least get some people yeah Let, I mean let's talk about dead, dead tree media which is really a hard business oh. and we've seen uh, yeah. we've, we've seen beer advocate mag go from a monthly to a quarterly yeah uh, we've seen Draft Mag get gobbled up completely by All About Beer. Yep, that uh, happened after I left. After you left, uh, and you, that was shut down. Did and then shut down. Did 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 is beer? Does it even exist? Beer magazine. Beer the magazine. I I don't think uh, exists in print anymore. Yeah. Celebrator uh, just Celebrator announced. Celebrator just announced. Yeah. So it's really tough. Um, talk about the difficulties of of being a print magazine and what you think of the like. 
how does that work? Is it is it is there room in the market for that? Is it is there a need for that? Is it, should we just all think about online? What like? No, that? I th- I think there is. I mean, I I'm I'm happy to say that craft beer and brewing, from what they tell me, um, subscriptions are up. Uh, resubscriptions uh, are solid, um, and more people are buying the magazine than than ever before. Um, I I think that there is a need for niche and there's a desire for, or I'm sorry, for print, for niche publications. I, I think that that definitely exists. Um, you have to have a business that's run the right way in order to make that work. Um, but you also have to give people, um, you hope at least, you know, when I was at All About, the, the resubscriptions were up. Um, we didn't have a circulation person uh, a lot of the time, so it was tough to actually get new subscriptions to come in. But we found that when people did find the magazine, that they would resubscribe because they liked the content, um, you, you know, uh, which is which is gratifying. So if you can get in front of people um, and say to them, "Hey, this eight dollars every two months, uh, you know, or this twenty bucks or this twenty-five a year uh, for a subscription for six issues," um, you're going to be pleased with that twenty-five dollars that you spend, um, especially when you're talking about a niche publication where um, you know you come to a brewery you can spend 25 bucks on two rounds depending on where you are right. so you say you know it, it's it's like those infomercials you know for pennies a day you too can have but I think you have to give people a quality product and I think that you have to give people something that they can look forward to and personalities that they can read um, where they look forward to so you know like when I was at All About we started a column that you were writing and Brandy Mosher started a column and Lou Bryson started a column uh, and we had compelling writers and we had compelling um, editorials and other things that would get people thinking about beer um, in other ways and so it's harder these days to sell print um, and the internet has a lot to do with that and and quite honestly I, I, I'd remind all the listeners as I, as I do on the other podcasts that, that, that I do as well of you want information you know you have to pay for it or at least think about paying for it right like we need to you know pay our bills and we need to put food on the table and raise our kids and everything else in between. Yeah, absolutely. Can I do another uh, of the IPA, please? You like that one? Yeah, that'd be great. It's good. It's one of my favorites, too. Uh, I'm going to go with that oatmeal pail. Can you bring me this size? Yeah. Awesome. Actually, I'll do the same of that size as well. Thanks. Are you going to edit this out or are we just going to keep this in? Like we're sitting at Colshin and we just ordered beers. We are. At, we should mention that we're does, at Colshin. Does anybody room. listen to this podcast? It's like this is just going out over to the uh, – well, you know, I listen. I, I will tell you we're um, – I our, mean I won't uh, listen uh, to this one because I don't like the sound of my voice on tape. You should yeah. listen to this one. You're, you're, you're really smart and <laughs> saying some smart things. We, 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 uh, we're building our, our, our audience. I would actually – we should talk. Nobody ever talks about numbers. You want to know our numbers? You tell, sure. I'll, I'll show you mine. You show me yours. All right. I'm proud of my numbers. Yeah. Our, our podcast gets maybe, um, like an average podcast, we'll get about 2,000 listens. Okay. So that's what we got. What do you, what, how do you do? Uh, Steal This Beer is up to about 30,000. Oh, you guys rock. Yeah, no, we're doing our – we've also been around for three years. Okay. Um, well, we've been around three years also. Okay. <laughs> Awkward. Well, you know. No, we, hey, we, um, are, we, are, we are as niche as it gets. You know, here we are in a bar yeah. and uh, Cole Shan yeah. and uh, not professional – You've already told me about your pop. 
my what? Oh, my pop filters and everything filters, that, that yeah. I have for my. For no, we thing. don't roll that, man. We go, we go old. We, school. Yeah, I know that this is this is retro tech. Um, and, and your own pod for uh, uh, for craft beer and brewing. Yeah, that I do with uh, Jamie Bogner. Uh, we alternate weeks. Um, yeah, we have a couple of thousand listeners on there as well. Yeah, so cool. It's, uh, yeah, no, we're we're pretty happy with that. But yeah, so, we're, I, I'm not at all ashamed of our 2000. We're nor should you be, though. I'm grateful that people are listening. But here's the thing, right? That I think that everybody has to remember: if you're enjoying this podcast, if you're enjoying reading a blog or a magazine or anything else like that. There are people who are actually putting their time and money and their infrastructure into making that happen. That's a pretty... I'm, I'm just handing John my hazy. This I have a nice hazy pail here. At, There's uh, like some coconut thing on the back of that. Um, uh, I dig that. Thank you so much. Um, but So here's the thing, though. I, I, I think that people have to, I, I would hope, remember... Um, that's not it. Is that an oatmeal... Oatmeal pale ale. Oh, oatmeal pale ale. We we regularly have a just like you do on Still is Beer. We have a, a tasting feature, so I okay. guess we're, we're doing our tasting feature now. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they do a really nice hazy here. It's quite bitter in a way that most uh, East Coast hazies aren't, which I like. It's a yep. Southwest style, but um, very very vivid, full full flavor. Yeah, they're just calling it their Beer Week Hazy Pale, and then I'm drinking Bastard Cat Cat with a K IPA. The six point six percent, which is actually really quite nice. I like your oatmeal pale though. That's, My oatmeal um, pale is nice. That's got a nice body to it. Yeah. All right. The point that I've been trying to make for the last few minutes is essentially. Um, People should pay for media. We've seen after this last election, we've seen in the last couple of years, uh, the Times, the Washington Post, other places do really well because uh, Vanity Fair, the New Yorker, because people want to pay for quality information. They want to pay for um, independent, unbiased, um, at least in the news coverage, you know, to say uh, don't talk about the op-eds because that's a whole other, you know, sure. politics are different on, the, on those pages. But independent news requires money, requires resources, requires the ability to send people to breweries and pay for gas and then pay them for their time so that you get good information. And we're so used to with the internet these days, uh, people just logging on and hopefully getting it for free, but is what you're getting the best that you can get. And so if you like a blog like yours, Jeff, or you know, you like, you know, the magazine like ours or, you know, whatever, for the twenty bucks a year that it might cost you you get that much more out of it because you're actually contributing to something. You're contributing to a small business much in the same way that you do a brewery as well. You know, you, you drink craft beer or small batch beer because, you know, you like the taste of it, but you also maybe on some level want to stick it to the man that is ABI. Um, this is the same thing, you know, because there is there are sites these days that are, you know, run by ABI. There's a beer site called October. Yeah, and I want to talk yeah. about Kind um, of. Yeah. So, I I totally agree with all of that. Okay. It has never been the case that uh, print media, print media was always a kind of a blend of subscriptions and ad. Uh, and that's where the money still comes from. It comes from ads. It comes from subscriptions. And it's hard to sell subscriptions. I'm sorry. It's it's hard to sell ads in its publications. Well, and without subscriptions, they need each other. But and something like a beer magazine, you know, you see a lot of breweries advertising and speaking to the masses. You do need to grow that out. You know, uh, there, there's ways of doing that, and there's some places, you know, that are working to do that and have tried to do that as well. Um, but yeah, you need to you need both to survive. 
So I'm really interested in your take on the way media is evolving, okay. particularly online. I think um, mag, you know, typical traditional print magazines haven't changed so much. But online, as you just alluded to, we're seeing things like uh, uh, beer necessities, which I guess has failed. Uh, I, I I don't think that that's the word that ABI would use, uh, yeah. but the Beer Necessities was a website that was run by their quote-unquote high-end, which is their craft division, so Goose and Breck and all those other ones. Uh, that shut down after... Uh, at, at the beginning of 2018. Yeah. That was a purely, like, I'm sure that was in somebody's marketing budget. That was, oh, it was 100%. Yeah. It was not really a, uh, designed to be an independent uh, magazine. But then we have a, a hybrid like October, which is funded in part by Anheuser-Busch. It's run by uh, Michael Kaiser, at, uh, who, who also runs Good Beer Hunting. He's involved in that, yeah. He's involved in that. And Condé Nast, which is and a... And Condé Nast. Yeah. So it's this weird hybrid and I think a lot of people have had um, uh, mixed feelings about these these kinds of blending. Even, and I'll, I'll admit, I mean, right off the bat, people have mixed feelings about my own blog. I have a, I, I am sponsored by Guinness Brewing, and you know, even that looks like a certain compromise. I mean, it, these things are a continuum. As long as you're taking money from the people you're covering, there's a way in which it's a continuum. So, how do you relate to this, and and what is? How, What's the state of that whole thing? I, I have been fortunate that when I worked at All About and uh, working here at, uh, at Craft Beer and Brewing, uh, there is a wall between editorial and advertising. And so it, it's only natural that we're going to cover people who are advertisers. You know, like if Sierra Nevada takes out a, a back page ad in the magazine, no matter which one the magazine is, you're probably going to be writing about Sierra Nevada, not because they took out a, an ad, but because of their size and because of what they do and because of the interest, you know, the interesting innovations that they have all the time. Um, the way that that works, though, is if Sierra Nevada, and I'm just using them as an example, but like, let's say they mess up something. Like, let's say something terrible happens there or all that. You have to then cover them, and you can't just be like, oh, they're an advertiser, we're going to look the other way. You have to tackle it head on and say, oh, this is, like, yeah, they were running, you know, like a, you know, a chicken fighting ring out of the back or like, you know, like whatever it is. Wait, like, Sierra Nevada is running a chicken, a cockfighting? Stop, get me, get me rewrite. Yeah. Wait, I want Stop. cockfighting. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Somebody get on the horn. Um, no, but but again, it comes down to, and you have to have the ability for the business side to know that the editorial side is going to do that, um, and you also have to know that the advertising side isn't going to sell editorial. Um, you know, like it was frowned upon, and it was forbidden, pretty much everywhere that I've worked, where it's like, hey, we'll take out an ad if you, you know, write a piece about you know right. that just doesn't happen or at least it hasn't happened to me um, it might happen other places and these scenarios exist but it's that level of integrity that I think is really important in the industry right now um, and you know October because you brought them up they, they've been pretty clear about saying this is a part of ZX ventures which is right. part of AB like they, they don't necessarily hide it no it's been very transparent right I, I don't want to suggest I'm commenting on it at all it's just we're with with the movement into online we're seeing different configurations of business models than we ever saw with print and right. i just wonder how you feel about that as an old print guy 
The thing is, though, when you have a site like that that is involved with marketing at Condé Nast and involved with the, with the brewery, you have to figure they have an end game at the end of the day of getting more customers to their brands. Sure. You know, because it, it, it's not like an altruistic thing. It's a business thing, and it's part of their business. It's why AB got involved with great beer. It's why, you know, ABI is involved with Pico Brew and Northern Brewer and all of these other things that they're involved with. It's a bit, It's a way of adding to their bottom line. Um, when it comes to hopefully independent media, it's adding to our bottom line as well. But our bottom line is news or information at least uh, when it comes to it. So um, with hopefully no axe to grind because while we are, um, uh, while we do get ads, we also get subscriber money, but we also have that firewall saying that's great if you want to take out an ad, but it doesn't mean that we're going to write nice things about you and it also doesn't mean that we're going to cover you at all. It just means that you recognize that our audience is ones that you want to reach in this medium and we're happy to take your money while we continue to do good work. Gotcha. Uh, looking forward, so right now, if you if you think about the beer media landscape, where people it's get their grim, man. yeah, where people get their information, so they're going to pick, they're going to get, they're they're get. It's probably the filter that guides them to stuff is um, social media. Yeah, Reddit, so, social media, Reddit, yeah. social media. So they're picking up. Uh, is link. Reddit social media? I, don't I know. think it is. I don't know. We're too old for Reddit. According yeah. to my Squarespace, uh, it, it, it puts Reddit links under social media. So I'm going right. to say yes. Uh, so, so that's kind of a gatekeeper. But then you have um, you have traditional media. You know, um, Jason Noddy is a, a guy who writes nice pieces. We were talking about. Uh, Shepard, Chris Shepard, Chris Shepard for uh, Beer Marketers Insights, which is a also another great reporter who's doing great work. Yeah, um, Josh Noel at the Chicago Tribune is Noel, one of yeah. these great writers. Who, is it Noel or Noel? I think it's Noel. Okay, I don't know. All right, this is like we only know their names on exactly. Twitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so you you might find um, you might find a link to a uh, you know a piece of journalism from one of these guys. You may also find a link to uh, a random piece of commentary from Joe Schmo. So sure. it, it's really hard to kind of, uh, you know, adjudicate these as a reader. But then you've also got hybrid sites that are rating sites like Rate Beer. You've got Untapped, where like ticking sites. When you look forward as a as a guy, you know, who is whose business is bringing information about beer to consumers, to you know, to readers. Who are interested in beer? What do you see in the future? What what you know? What kind of media do you think um, will serve that population? And what you know? What do you, from your side as a as a reporter, as a person who's seriously concerned about content, what do you hope to see? So right now, I'm seeing podcasts be a great way that people are getting information, or at least one-on-one -on -one interviews or reviews. Uh, that have a little bit of personality to them as well, and people uh, seem to be gobbling those up uh, uh, quite a bit, which I think is great because you know you're getting a variety of voices from people that hopefully you want to listen to, right. and that uh, hopefully have something interesting to say that's also rooted in, 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 in factuality. I think going forward, it's it's you know obviously it's hard for the magazines right now. There's there's not a lot out there. Uh, All about hasn't been publishing regularly since I left. Um, uh, Draft is gone. Beer connoisseur is gone. 
ish. Ish. Yeah. Like they're online, the but they're yeah, but they, yeah. Know. But I don't know anything about like beer. The magazine's gone. Like people have come and gone. Craft beer brewing, thankfully, you know, Knockwood is doing all right right now. But like any of these things, you know, could change. And so I think that if we're we're getting into this sort of personality driven news right now. And so when you look at uh, some of the bold face names that are out there in regular news, like you know Nate Silver or some of the sports writers that people trust. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that there are names that people will trust, you know, like yours or Stan Hieronymus or Randy Mosher. And no matter where those people are, if they're appearing in a variety of different freelance places, if they're showing up in the Chicago Tribune or showing up on a blog or showing up wherever, if you trust the name because the name is solid or even if the name is new to you, by the time you're done with the article, there's a certain level of professionalism that comes through. You hope with these pieces that when you're done, you're like, huh, I'd like to read more either about this or more from this person. It's like finding your favorite writer. It's like finding your favorite artist. It's like finding your... And I think that writing is headed that way, uh, especially in our niche. What about publishing, though? Is there is there space for another print magazine that comes out that becomes the definitive uh, voice of beer? I think so. I think so. I, I, think that, I think competition is healthy. You know, when I first started, uh, I was the news editor. When I first started writing about beer, uh, pretty much full time, I was the news editor at the Ale Street News, nice. which was the East Coast Brews paper. Yeah, uh, we, you know, we have was, an Ale Street it, News out here. I yeah, think. like they, they were regional versions of. Yeah, it. and it was like Celebrators, you know, East Coast cousin. Um, but you had Connoisseur, and you had Beer the Magazine, and All About and Draft, and you had all these things that we've named over and over, and it kept us it kept us better. Um, Earlier, when we were, before we started recording, I was talking about how I used to talk to Ben Keen at Beer Advocate and Erica writes at Draft, and the three of us as editors would have regular text chains or email chains. We all read each other's stuff. We all read each other's magazines because it made us better. Um, it was like, damn, we got beat on that story, or you know, I thought about doing that story, but Ben beat me to it, or I beat Ben, or you know, Erica beat us both, or like whatever it was. And it kept us, so then we'd go into our own editorial meetings and be like, all right, next month, next issue, like, we, we got to come out on top. Without competition, you can become complacent. And I think that competition is good. And I think that anybody who's writing about beer, uh, even if it's in your own blog, you know, chances are if it's, you know, if you're in Portland, Oregon, like, I don't even know how many small blogs there are, but, like, Everybody should Nor be do I. right, but everybody should be reading everybody else and trying to say how do I get to the top of this pile? And the ones and it's much it's much like beer, right? We right. see breweries open up across the street from each other these days. And if you're the brewery that makes the better beer, you could be the one that's been around for 20 years or you could be the one that's been around for 20 days. But if you're making the better beer, people will go to you and you will eventually be standing on top of that mountain. Competition keeps people healthy and we need more of it. But we need the readers to support our mission to do that because we all get something out of it. We get to be employed as writers, but readers also get to be enriched drinkers uh, and have better information and understand their pints better. And that's that's what I'd like to see happen going forward. I don't know if it's in print. I don't know if it's just online or a hybrid of both. But I do know that we need quality information from independent sources uh, that aren't afraid to say, you know, hey, this is bad. Hey, this is good. Hey, you should be paying attention to this. Or, hey, these are dark corners of the industry that need a flashlight right now. And we're the ones shining it so that you all can see. You know, remember journalism's role in this country. 
You know, it is a proud institution that has been very well maligned uh, these last couple of years and going on longer than that. You know, people don't trust the media, but, you know, everybody still turns on your local station when it snows, you know. you need to have trust in your media and the media also has to earn that trust for the readers and we're in a place in covering beer where we have the ability to do that but we need the people to support us on that mission so that we can support their education this is why I was happy to write for you and uh, I it was my pleasure I yeah. admire everything you do I think you. uh, you're a, an eloquent spokesman for this this, uh, <laughs> this profession and I, I hope to I hope you Continue to be a, a leading light um, for years to come, John. I'll do my best as long as my liver holds out. Well, <laughs> have, have a glass of water. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, cheers. Thanks so much. All right. Uh, very interesting chat. Uh, are we rolling? I lost the audio there. <laughs> yeah, we're rolling. Okay. <laughs> Would long you like to keep rolling or should we back up? As long as we're rolling. No, this is crap. There's no point in hiding it. <laughs> <laughs> most most professionals just edit this out, but not us. We're rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll, so, tell, we'll tell our producer to take care of that. So there you go. There's John John Hall. He's a. Uh, I I'm happy to say I consider John a friend of mine, and that was a really pleasant uh, afternoon to spend with him. In yeah. There's there's a. Uh, I've you have introduced me. I've met him and hang, hung out with him. He's today. actually appeared on the pod. He's one of yeah. He's one of the. Uh, uh, one of those guys you really, you really like to sit down and have a beer with, right? Yeah. Just, <laughs> I recommend really, it. Really entertaining and uh, nice guy. So yeah. uh, thank you, John, for spending some time with us. Indeed. Thanks, John. <laughs> All right. So next we have our mailbag. All right. And actually there's stuff in the mailbag. There week. is stuff in the mailbag. Thank there's you, actually, people. I lost something uh, and maybe two things. Okay. So uh, this is what the, when we don't do it every two weeks, I kind of. Uh, sometimes can lose things in the, the wash. But uh, we have two things which should be adequate for our purposes. And the first comes from Brian Ebling. I don't know where Brian lives, but um, he sent me what is certainly the longest email I've ever received. I threw it in the old... Uh, like like full stop? Full stop. I think full stop. I, I mentioned to him that I thought it was the longest email about <laughs> beer I'd gotten, which is definitely true. It was 4,000 words. I threw it in a word, uh, Microsoft Word to do a word count. It was, it was like 3973 or nice, something. Nice, like yeah. a long form, you know, like a good New Yorker piece. Yeah, exactly. That was a, that was a hell of a marathon. So, Brian, you, you're the winner. And actually, he wrote back and said, all right, well, let me know if anybody tries to... Uh, top me because I'm coming back with an even longer <laughs> one. So don't even try because Brian's just going to top you. Um, and he, uh, he, he said at the top, I listened to every Birvana episode sequentially over the last couple of months. Wow. And so his 4,000 word uh, treatise was a response to 54. We should podcasts. have like a t-shirt or something. That's right. <laughs> you made it. I, you made I it listened to 54 podcasts and survived. You made it to the Birvana marathon. Yeah, so he, he said a lot of complex stuff, and it's a little bit hard to distill it, but I just wanted to give a call out to Brian. Brian, thank you. We really appreciate it. Uh, that was not a quick email you banged out, and uh, I read it and, and am absorbing it. Jeff, we'll parse it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll respond in, in course. Okay. <laughs> I'll, send, I'll send it to you for some parsing. Okay, right. I'll parse it. And All right. My namesake? Yes, your namesake. Uh, Patrick Woodward actually left this on the blog, but it is actually aimed at our uh, pod. So I will just set it up. He was Patrick, you got to stop reading vlogs, man. It's over. 
<laughs> he's, he's he's one of the diehards. He's a connoisseur of the old ways. Ah, uh, yes. Um, a fan of the written word, of the digital word. Yeah, yeah. The, the, well, it's still written. Yeah, yeah. And it's not handwritten. Um, so it was in a in a um, in the context of that thing that we talked about in the Beeronomics podcast, which yes. which is the risk of trying something and mm-hmm. being disappointed right. versus uh, going. just going with the tried and true and yeah. not not having any opportunity to discover something new. Indeed. And he writes, uh, maybe you and Patrick can come up with a formula for the rest of us to help find the right ratio of new beers to tried and true beers. So I, I actually have an approach on this. I don't know if you have an approach. Uh, like I could, if you're by, in a pub. By the way, I could come up with a formula. Sure. <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily be the right one for you, however. It probably really depends on uh, uh, your attitude toward risk. Well, in e- as an economist, we would say your attitude toward risk. Uh, as a beer connoisseur, it's basically how much you are willing to risk to, to have a good experience. And also, it depends on the information environment around you. So if you have a lot of friends recommending new beers, then that's the ideal, right? You get real information you can rely on. Sure. <laughs> anyway, tell me your tell me your strategy. Uh, I think that's all true, but um, there's so many beers, nobody ever has any information. It's really hard. Well, yeah, it's really hard when it's a new brewery and a new beer. And then you have to assess whether your friend is reliable. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and so what? So this is actually, like, you tell me a beer's good. This is a that's obviously useless information. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably full of mosaic. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but how do you so? Uh, this is actually not really a question for you, Jeff, because you don't know too much. But for the rest of you out there, think about how your mind works when, you, when you're sitting there in the beer store or in the supermarket or wherever you buy beer uh, and you're thinking about whether to try a new beer. What influences you? Is it the packaging? You know, mm-hmm. is it the is it the name? Is there a reputation that you've heard? Is it because you've heard the name or you haven't heard the name? Is it because it's from a certain area that you associate with good beer or bad beer? All these little snippets. I, uh, I mentioned that because I find it fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm actually quite influenced by good packaging. I am too. I think everybody is. I think the people who say they are not are just not aware of how much they're influenced by packaging. Yeah. So if it's if it's in a kind of a crummy package, I'll just skip right over. And if it's in a nice one, I'll get it. And as and that probably has very little to do with the quality of the beer. <laughs> yeah, I bet correlation is is yeah. terrible on that. Um, uh, so, I don't have a good I don't have a good answer for you, but this is what I try to do. I'll give you sort of my thing. Is that when I go to the store, um, I don't actually drink a lot of beer in volume. And my household is I'm the only beer drinker in my household. Uh, so what I like, and that's why I like 16 ounce cans because that's about the amount of beer in an evening, maybe a 22 ounce bottle. But uh, what I'll do is I'll generally uh, load up my cart with maybe four or five beers by the way this is individual <laughs> not four or five six packs <laughs> that's one of the challenges because a lot of the new beers are in six packs uh, and and especially more and more if they're coming in cans you can't separate them yeah. they're non-separable that's so. why a four pack of 16 ounces is what i want so recipe out there that's what you should do four packs of 16 ounces but that ounces. increases the risk reward thing like that makes it much more risky than it one, is true one, one it can. is true so i try to i always have a few tried and true because because if i open a beer that I've never tried before, a risk that I've taken, and it and it's bad. I'm too old yeah. and too wealthy to drink it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's be honest, right? I mean, uh, uh, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to make a, 
you know, a $4 bet on a beer. And if it doesn't pay off, I'm not willing to just sit there and drink a bad beer. Right. So I'll, I'll I usually, knew you when you were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It wasn't very long. Ago, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I, what I try to do is I try to, I, I try to sort of reserve maybe uh like maybe a one third of my beer purchases for something a little new maybe it's maybe it's a brewery i know and a new beer uh, and then sometimes on new breweries i try to push myself out there because i you know i want to learn new things i want to try out new beers uh but then i all but then i kind of stick about two-thirds of my purchases are sort of tried and true beers that i know that i like and i have um and as i get older i'm a little less a little more risk averse yeah i think that's natural and sure in human beings i think that's right too uh, my approach is similar, but I, I, I usually, um, there's, there's two kinds of, uh, uh, risk and one is, one is tempered by knowledge. And mm-hmm. so there's the risk of a brand new brewery and you don't even know which, which of their beers, which of the products to buy. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the risk of a new beer from a brewer, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's the tried and true, yeah. which is a beer, you know. And I usually divide them in about thirds. So I think I probably spend more time in pubs than you do. And when I go to a pub, I identify a beer that I know that I really like. That's usually my last beer because I do not want to go out on a crap beer. I yep. want to I want to make sure that the, my my last experience is a very nice beer. So I usually go for decreasing amounts of risk. So first beer is a total crapshoot. Second beer is like maybe a new beer from a different brew, a new beer from a brewery I know and trust. And then the third beer is the tried and true. So that's I, I would I would. Uh, say that I do something similar, although I try very hard to. Uh, usually, if I'm in a pub, my my evening starts with something lower alcohol and lower hot, lower IBU. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that then, really factors in, and then grad, too. it goes up as well. So I have to sort of balance those two. Um, I would also say that although I'll I'll totally finish on a low hop lager. I don't care what I've had before that. I'm I'm going out if I if that's the beer that I want. Yeah, I have like three. Three hazies right in a row, blast my palate. I don't care, man. We're going out with well, a nice particularly house. particularly if that's like the one beer you didn't anticipate having, like the one final beer. It's like I'll go some low alcohol, so I don't, don't go over the top. But um, I also say that you know I get enjoyment from having a sitting and drinking a good beer, but I also get enjoyment just from trying something new, even if it's a failure. Yeah. Uh, you know, part of the part of the fun is exploration, and so whether it's good or bad, I I'm willing to spend some money just just trying out new things. Which, by the way, this promiscuity we've talked about before is. I think driving the market more and more. <clears throat> One thing we should talk about in a future pod uh, is that um, pubs. This is a thing, a phenomenon. Pubs is they're starting to have all kinds of different glassware and different pricing. I was going to mention this as well, and the, and I've noticed that many breweries and pubs now offer smaller glassware, and it's it's fairly linear pricing. Is that what you call it? So it's not you don't take mm-hmm. a, you're not punished really brutally for you get a half a glass, half a price. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and halves, that encourages me to take those risks more. Yeah, and halves are a way. great way. Yeah. I, I've, I've come more and more, even if it's nonlinear, I still find it mostly nonlinear, but not, not hugely show. Right. So I might spend an extra 25, 50 cents or something like that. It'll per, be like $5 a pint and uh, $3 Three bucks half. for a half, yeah. So I'll still go for the halves because that, that, especially in the early on, if I'm trying out new stuff. Yeah. Then just get a half, try it out. I don't really like tasters so much. I mean, tasters are good to give a first taste, but you really don't know. You got to live with your beer a little bit. You got to have a few sips. You got to let it warm. You got to kind of have it on your palate. So I actually think uh, tasters are okay, but don't don't really believe you know a beer from a taster. Agreed. Yeah. And a half pint doesn't quite get you there either. A full pint's better, but a half pint is pretty good. Half pint will probably tell you 
whether you're on the right track. <laughs> yeah, it'll tell you enough. But um, yeah. All right. Okay. Last thing is beer sherpa. Oh yeah, uh, we haven't done a sherpa in a while. Um, but I, I'm gonna go back to let's do a Bellingham beer. Yep. I could do one of the chuckanut beers, which are world class, world award winning things. But I think more people know about those. So I'm gonna go for uh, one of the beers from Structures. Nice. One of the breweries I mentioned, and the beer. Oh, gotta get out my readers. The beer, the beer is called Who Knows because I can't read it. Okay, here we are. Isolation. Okay. This is uh, one of their barrel H saisons, and they're really sophisticated. Only open a couple of years, but they do seventy um, percent. Uh, they do a bl- it's a blended saison. Seventy mm-hmm. percent is straight saison, regular saison, steel right. aged, and then thirty percent is a blend of wild uh, barrels. Nice. And those are a blend of wild barrels, so it's right. not just one barrel. So they're getting a ton of complexity there. Um, to my palate, it was very much like a white wine. Um, uh-huh. it, it was actually even looked like a white wine. It was very pale. They used spelt and wheat in it. Um, kind of like a Pinot Gris, almost. A pretty restrained acidity, but but present. And then all these wonderful esters that were popping got really, I, in my in my blog post, I called them pastel stone fruit esters. Mm-hmm. They were really kind of like a, uh, uh, Monet painting or something. Um, and when we, when we were there, I was there with John and, uh, he tasted his first and he let out an audible gasp of, <laughs> of, of, of him. He was really, he was really impressed. And then I tasted it and had a really similar impression. Nice. That was an exceptional beer. Okay. So, so once again, it's, Isolation from Structures Brewing in Bellingham, Washington. All right. And by the way, pro tip, <clears throat> there is nothing better than summer in the Pacific Northwest. And the Pacific Northwest now boasts four amazing beer cities. Well, more than that, actually. You could even include Victoria. But you could do a lot worse than a Portland, Seattle, Bellingham, Vancouver, Vancouver, BC uh, beer tour. That's really true. It's glorious weather, glorious country, and glorious beer. Come after July 4th. Stay into September. Yeah. Just Beautiful. enjoy yourself. Done. Yeah. The, the, the weather is reliable from yeah. July through September. All right. No bugs. Not super hot. Uh, not a lot of rain. Perfect. That's right. And a lot of good beer. Lots and lots of good beer. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much for listening to the podcast. Uh, we'd like to encourage you to, of course, rate us and subscribe on iTunes and do all the other things that help us on like things like Google Play and SoundCloud. Yeah. And I don't I know what else on, you do. I think we're on Google Play. But do all that stuff. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rate us and subscribe whatever, on whatever uh, service and device you use. Yeah. Uh, feel free to send us free beer. Uh, if you send us free beer, we will talk about it on the air. Right. And if, if too many people start sending us free beer, God forbid, but we'll, 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 we'll temper that. But for the moment, we, we don't, we're no, there's no glut. So even even get, better. Get on the case. Even better. Think about sponsoring the Beervana podcast. Uh, That's getting right. your name right up top. Uh, Currying favor with the beer geeks is never a bad thing, and we're you know we're profoundly influential, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, I mean we we basically make markets, so, <laughs> so go for it. All right, uh, a few words going out about how to get in touch. If you'd like to send us uh, some feedback, please email uh, Jeff at Jeff at beervanablog dot com, or vi- you can visit the Beervana Blog Facebook page and leave a comment there. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, so please send us your questions and comments. Jeff, of course, blogs at the Beervana blog and tweets at at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at at Beeronomics. And I guess that's all you do. Yeah, so, and, and it should be no surprise that I'm going to grab the Hazy IPA. I'm going for the pills. Uh, once again, from uh, Free State <laughs> Brewing Co-op uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you very much. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. Cheers.